Welcome to episode 10 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Dougherty. Ooh, Hillary, tell me about your week. Um, I always feel like I don't have a story, but then I remember. So this is what happened. On the way to Tallahassee, I got a speeding ticket. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, girl, right where they tell you, don't speed on I-10. Uh, yep, and they got me. They got me, bitch. So I <laughs> I get the speeding ticket. I'm just going to pay the ticket. And my husband's like, wait a minute. What about our insurance to get it? And I forgot about points. Like, I haven't had a speeding ticket in oh, so long. No. You know what I mean? So he said, you got to go to driving school. And I said, okay. So I it's did that. It's online now, though. Yes. Thank God. So convenient. And you can pause it and come back, you know, resume it. So that was awesome. So it was a four-hour course. But the craziest things are the different segments. So some of the segments had videos or pictures. Oh. And it was like, it was just like driver's ed when I was in high school where they show you the worst kind of accents you can oh, imagine. no. But now it's like texting accidents yes and uh you know you know they t- that move over law in florida where you got to get out of the way yes. the police officers pulled somebody over and cars police officers getting hit car walking Goodness. up to oh and then you get all the way to the end and i'm like okay good i take the quiz i'm done i'm finished with this i get my the points off it's like okay congratulations uh good luck on your quiz um, click here for graphic pictures and I'm like no I don't no. want any more of these fucking pictures I'm, I'm already terrified I don't want to get back in the car it's oh. so horrible and um, I clicked for the next section and it was a video of one horrible picture after the other oh no uh, I mean they're, me so it's, it, they're just trying to scare people yes like eyeballs completely <gasps> popped out there was one Wait. guy like cut in half oh my god I'm telling you there was but, one lady who's what, but I this only content has her to brains. be for, for 18 and older. I can't imagine if yes, a yes, young yes. driver mm-hmm. having to do driving school oh, and having listen. to see this. I don't, I don't, I think so, Tina. I think that oh. they get in trouble. They do. We watched those things when we were driver's ed. Yeah, I don't remember it being that graphic, though. It was, I, I, I scrolled down so I didn't have to look at it because it has to have run out of time before you can go to the next yeah. section. And, uh, but every time I could see like a picture change, I would look up, <laughs> scroll oh, up and look. No. look. Oh my God. It was really scary. That is very scary. I know. Oh goodness. But I passed. So no points on my license. Oh my God. I remember back in the day where you had to, you know, like drive around and it's in, you know, the strip mall at some tiny room in the back and Mm -hmm. it's the videotape and you're sitting there with four other people Mm -hmm. for four hours of your life. And it was so horrible. Yeah. 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 So that was a great deterrent for me. Yeah. After I had my uh, first ticket to go man I don't want to do this again I know so I know what about you how's your week been my week's been pretty good um I was off this week and I oh, just nice. yeah did absolutely nothing and lazed about so that was kind of nice I felt I never really do that I always try to find something to do and I just really was incredibly lazy mm. but I needed it listen we all do <laughs> we all do wouldn't that be nice if everybody could get a break uh, like that you know I, I know I just wish uh it really should be part of uh, our culture where yes. just people can, and, and like, don't clean your house, don't do your laundry, <laughs> just don't do anything for a couple of days. And it just is kind of, I was telling my husband, I was like, wow, you really, you know, when I think of like super rich people who they never have to do any of the chores and mm-hmm. the chores in life, like it takes up so much time. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that <laughs> we don't have access to just, you know, 
uh, enjoying the free time from work that we have without all of like the daily life things that get in the way. I know. It's annoying. I'm like, there's the well, dishes and oh my, I got to fold another barrel of laundry and <laughs> I'm over it. I hear like, you. Hey, where's someone? Where's the... But aren't these kids old enough to learn how to do this shit? I mean, I'm, I feel like they are. <sighs> Why won't they just get on it already? They, I guess yeah. I have to take, you know, my husband says I have they, have, they sh- I should start teaching them and I'm like, I see them, my, my, my son helped me with the dishes one time and it was just like peanut butter still on the knives. And I was yeah. like, oh, fuck it. Like, I'll just do it myself. I have them, they can do a dry and put away. Yeah. Um, they like to help cook, but that's, you know, sort of fun. Yeah. Um, they're not big on helping with the laundry. It ends up being, the drawers end up being a complete mess and I, I can't stand it. And I should yeah. just let it be a mess and let them. Yes. That's what we're supposed to do. I know. I Well, listen, I'm I can't like, do it either. Okay, so um, we are at episode 10, which is very exciting. Uh, I can't even believe it. I know. <laughs> one day it's going to be episode 100. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Blew my ears off. So, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. All right, so today I'm going to tell you the story of former Wisconsin state senator. Oh, you know what I just realized? What? I never sent my story to Alfredo. Oh. Did you? I did. Oh my God. I didn't. But we're oh. not we're not the same story. Oh. I was just remembering that I didn't know if you had the same oh. story. Oh, sorry, sorry, okay, sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's go fine. ahead, go ahead. Okay, so today I'm gonna tell you the story of former Wisconsin State Senator Gary George. Hmm. Gary George served as uh the state senator for Wisconsin uh for district. sorry district six from 1981 to 2003 where he worked on various committees finance committees and he was known for not always following along party lines and he was a democrat and that sort of gets him into some trouble throughout his career i love the two first names as Uh, you know what i mean i was yeah i was gonna ask you about that i can't i don't know it's a little you like it yeah it always freaks me out. Yeah. It just, I don't know, the two first names. But when he fails to toe that party line <laughs> one too many times, he became embroiled in a recall election and later sank further into the muck of corruption. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, indeed. <laughs> so, um, like I said, the story takes place in Wisconsin and specifically in Milwaukee, hmm. Wisconsin. And whenever I think of Milwaukee, and this is going to age me. Laverne and Shirley. Yes! yes! We are on the same page yes. all the time. Shamil, Shamatsul, right? Dun, 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 incorporated. Dun, 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 we're going to do it. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's what I think of. Well, but... Lenny, Lenny and Squiggy, I have to tell you, were probably oh. my first. I remember having crushes on those two guys. Lenny, Lenny later, that actor, is just incredible. He's done all of like the uh, Best oh, in yes. Show. Michael McKeon, I think yes. his name is. Yes, he yes, is yes. hilarious. Yes, and of course, Penny, uh, Penny Marshall. Marshall, Jesus, yes. yes. Oh my God. Incredible too. Love her. So, um, so back then, sort of in the early days of Milwaukee, there was a large Polish population, um, and then the city became more and more diverse, but... Even today, uh, Milwaukee struggles with segregation. And it's, mm. you know, again, it's 2020. And I feel like, what, what's going on, people? Um, and in 2015, it was named one of the worst cities for black Americans Holy to live cow. in. There's high incarceration rates. There's uh, uh, high educational gaps. You know, just all that bullshit. Yeah. So, um, and Gary George, 
his district represented sort of that inner city area okay. of Milwaukee. He was a black elected official. Okay. Um, and then later on, there were sort of complaints from constituents saying, like, he's not representing our needs um, at all. So what does Gary George do? So in 2004, uh, George, and this is why the first name, last name to me is annoying because I'm saying George and it's his last name, but it sounds like <laughs> his first name, but yeah. whatever. So George is indicted on charges of attempting to defraud the government. Wow. So before I go into that specific crime, I want to give you a little bit of background on his life. So um, he served his first term in the Wisconsin Senate in 1981. But in 1986, Democrats launched a recall election against George because he didn't fall in line with the party. Specifically, he was like supporting uh, presidential candidate Reagan. And, well, and they're like, what are you doing? OK, yeah. But like, why? You know, I, I, I understand this whole fall in line thing. But right. you're going to have a recall on an elected official that people elected because they're not. That right. Doesn't seem I feel right. like you can support who you want to support. Yeah, there's no recall for that. Well. They tried to put this forward. And in Wisconsin, the way the recall works, the way in case some of our listeners aren't aware, is an elected official has to serve at least one year of a term that they've been elected for and before you can petition for their removal. Okay. And then when you petition for removal, however many people voted in the election that got him elected, 25% of that number, those people have to sign a petition. And then you're allowed to do a special election. And then they people can vote them out or so not. So they went to all of these voters, Democratic voters, and was they, like, you're not going to believe he's supporting Reagan. Let's yeah, get him out. Yeah, See, pretty much. And, and, now, and I don't know. I think there were some other things that he had done, and that was sort of maybe the the straw that broke the camel's back. But this is what they did. But they didn't. it didn't work. It didn't. This okay. recall, they didn't get enough of the petitions. I almost petitions. just went after the Democrats, but we'll, get, we'll move on. Well, well <laughs> there's a couple of things. This story was interesting for me because there's things that clearly he did that are not ethical, but then there's other sort of things in the, the city that I can, like, it makes me wonder, well, that didn't really seem fair that this happened to him. So I'm, I'm sort of on the fence, but he did commit some criminal acts. Okay. So they try to get him out on this recall. It doesn't work. He dodges that political bullet and continues on with his career. So in addition to his Senate runs, because he was a senator for a very long time in Milwaukee, he ran for governor twice, uh, once in 1998 and another time in 2002. And later on, he ran for multiple, uh, multiple times, three different times for a congressional seat. So one thing that he was sort of known for as a senator is he was like really adept, kind of some people might say crafty, at adding amendments to bills. At the very last minute, sort mm. of like these midnight, yes. you know, in the dark deals. But he was pretty bipartisan about it. Like he would meet with the Republicans. He would meet with the Democrats and say, hey, tell me what you want. I'm going to add it on. And the, the pages of these bills sometimes were like incredibly long with all of these added pieces. And they would show up to vote on the bill. Everyone would flip through and go, ah, there's my name. That's what I wanted. Boom, I'll vote for it. So he, he was good at that kind of negotiation. And, um, you know, that was sort of his thing. And the other thing that he was good at doing was um, raising money for campaigns. So and we all know that that's it. We've talked about it. It's necessary. You have to be able to have that mm -hmm. skill. And it's hard to do. And in his 1992 campaign, he raised a ton of money. But according to this Urban Milwaukee article by a Michael Horn, there was some interesting spending habits that happened. Okay. That 
um, I feel sometimes I always feel like people's actions are a mark of their character. Like it gives you a little bit of insight, even though it was nothing he got in trouble for it, but it just kind of shows mm-hmm. um, the type of guy that he is. So for example, um, from a Horn's article, he highlights that um, George spent $2,552 on these sort of fancy schmancy meals during his campaign. He was running unopposed, by the way. So he's having like these, you know, all these meals. He spent almost $1,500 at an athletic club. He spent almost $5,000 on his family in various ways, like meals or whatever else. There were no specifics were noted. And he paid himself uh, $950 during his 1998 run for governor. So that athletic club, the family, all of that came from his 1998 uh, run for governor. During his Senate reelection campaign, he spent over $19,000 on travel expenses, which is a lot of money. And again, I feel like that sort of spending tells us something about him, uh, that he's, in, he's enjoying a, a little bit of a lifestyle right. uh, with this. And when people so, give you money, when you're raising money for a campaign and people are d- donating to your campaign, I think that they're, they're assuming you're using that money to, to win. I don't know if going out to dinner with your family is an effort to... Right. To get you back in right. office. Or, or whatever it is for your, like, your family really shouldn't be benefiting at all. No. So, um, and like I said, he did those amendments. Like, that was sort of like his thing as a senator that he was known for. And um, his dis- his detractors sort of say, like, this was his way of making deals that benefited him in the long run. And others pointed out that um, people who were detracting against him, it was sort of a racial thing that when white senators did it, people really didn't say much about it, but because he was black, that more attention, like there was this spotlight on him in a way. And so, um, you know, and it's a viable argument. I guess. I mean, I'd really have to know more about Right. And who who was doing doing what. I mean, I feel like if you're doing any of these deals that are personally benefiting you and are not in line with what your constituents want, then it doesn't matter. Like, it's wrong. And also, if you don't have a party to back you up, if your party's already upset with you, honey, they're not coming to defend you when you're doing this stuff. And that was the thing. So a lot of the people in his party, you know, he was the maverick. You know, he was was also known as... Like Sarah Palin? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, He also had the nickname, and of course it has one of my favorite things that I always say, like the Teflon, you know, the Teflon Don. Mm -hmm. He was known as the Teflon Senator because nothing ever stuck to him. So he was always sort of, you know, there was always sort of this talk about things that weren't quite right with with moves that he was making, but they could never get anything to stick through the years. Um, When he was, and here's another incident where people um, said that... uh, it was because of his race that he was sort of targeted. And I and this particular incident, I do believe, happens to some candidates. And it was when he was running in 2002 for governor, uh, you have to have a certain amount of petitions signed to run. Right. Right. So allegedly he didn't have the correct amount. And some people, three people came forward saying, hey, my name is on that petition. I did not sign that petition. They're forged. Uh-oh. And so they went before the Wisconsin Elections Board and and brought the and then it started an investigation and so um a little over 200 of those signed forms were deemed suspicious and after the investigation they found several forgeries and they found one dead person on it (laughs) who obviously couldn't sign Uh, so um and like i said you know in his defense this i feel like this is a tactic that is sometimes done to remove people uh, from a ballot right and it's 
And what some people are saying that rarely does any candidate have to go through such scrutiny that he happened to be put through. Well, because yes. it was, you know, um, illegible signatures. So they throw those out, you know. And so it reminds me of the Chicago alderman when when the uh, mayor. Oh, God, forgive me. What was his name from uh, from Chicago? The story oh, that the I one did. who passed away. Yeah. When he was all the shit he was given. And it was right. clearly because he was black. You right. Know, and just stop trying to stop everything he was doing. I mean, it reminds me of Barack Obama. The, right. You know, we're not going to do anything as according to Mitch McConnell. I'm not doing anything to we're not going to let any of his yeah. bills come through. We're not uh, going to we're going to be petulant children. Court, yeah. Justices. We're not, you know, and it's clearly because of those reasons, you know. Right. Well, the the result for him was that he was he was unable to uh, run for that governor. Oh wow! Because they said you don't have enough signatures. Yeah, but you know, here's the other thing too. I mean, you know, you're going to get pushed back. Listen, it's unfortunate, but people of color you, have to work twice as hard, do twice as much work to to get onto the same level as any white person, and that's just a fact, right? In this country, and right. so I feel and like if you're in a red district and you're a Dem running, yes, you, you got to do and the same thing. If, so let's say I don't know how or many vice petitions. versa, maybe and even in a Dem. Yeah. You know. So I don't know how many petitions, but let's say he needed 200,000 petitions. Right. He would really have to get like 300,000 petitions Correct. because you know that half of them or part of them are going to get thrown out. Just be overly prepared for that because right. this happens. It happened with uh, Amendment 4, trying to get it on the ballot yes. in Florida. I think they had to get a threshold of 800,000, then they got a million right. just to get that cushion of like, we have to make sure that if any of these are, are looked at, we have all the signatures. Right. So uh, the NAACP ends up coming out saying that they, they believe that it was a racially charged sort of uh, action. Then he's recalled again uh, in oh 2003 gosh. after 23 years in office. So basically he goes against his party again. And he and, and again, this is sort of what he's known for. Like he is like, I'm going my own way. I am not, you know, I'm going to vote the way I want to vote. And it's not necessarily aligned with the Democrats. But it's also not in line with what his constituents in the district he's representing would want either. And that's mm. that's the catch. Like, if okay. you want to vote for things that you want to vote for, fine. But you are there to serve the people who elected you. Right. And you need to listen to their voices. Right. And that's where it kind of, you know, upsets me. So, um, he, you know, he represents that marginalized district. So some things that the Dems were pissed off about that spurred the recall in 2003, lying about his residency. So as you know, um, for certain seats, you have to live within the district that you're running for. So this guy had this super nice, expensive house in suburbia off of Lake Michigan. Ooh. And his address, though, he was using an, uh, an apartment address in that inner city Milwaukee area. Oh my God, come and on. And so some people felt that he was sort of, you know, living this suburban life. Yeah. He doesn't understand the needs of his community and he wasn't paying attention to the needs of the people in his community. Yeah, and, you have to be available there. Come on. And so, and he's trying to claim like, oh, that's my summer home. <laughs> the other thing that he did was um, then Governor Jim Doyle, he vetoed a Republican bill that went forward and so it's Milwaukee. So there's a lot of, a lot of um, tribal mm -hmm. um, groups there. Mm -hmm. And they work with the uh, gaming industry and gambling. And so at the time, the governor was the one that would sort of make these compacts with the, the I think it was 11 tribes on working through 
the rules and everything governing the gaming mm-hmm. um, in the state. And this uh, Republican bill was like, no, we as lawmakers want to have the say rather than just the governor. And the Democrats opposed that. And he voted um, he voted with the Republican Party to override that veto of, of the governor. And so they were upset about that. Um, the Republicans put a state budget forward that the Democrats didn't like. And he voted with the Republicans mm. on the state budget. So um, he ends up losing in that special election. Oh, so no. they do the recall and boom, done. Oh, my God. So how does George finally go down? Yeah. Well, he there's the special election. So he's still in office until the next person takes over. Right. And within a few weeks, he gets indicted oh my God. on these charges. Um, and the Teflon senator um, couldn't stop the muck from sticking. And <laughs> his charges were kickbacks. And allegedly, he took a cut of legal fees to the tune of over $270,000. Oh, my God. From 1997 to 2002 that a Milwaukee nonprofit paid to an attorney. Now, this nonprofit agency was receiving federal funds for welfare to work programs and other things like that that were helping uh, people in the state. And, you know, you have your attorney on retainer and the attorney's charging X amount and then he's kicking back money. So they're charging more to this group that's like trying to help people and then taking that money and giving it to... uh, uh, Gary George. Holy cow. Yeah. So the attorney who was involved pled guilty and he agreed, like, I'll give you all the dirt oh, man. On, on George. And he noted <laughs> that he gave 80% of his retainer fee to George. But why? Did he get him those cases or something? Did he line him up? What was the reason? What was yeah, the that part, I couldn't find the details on like why they had this deal, but maybe it was because he maybe got him these different right. um, jobs for different state agencies um, to be the attorney, but that I'm not clear on. Right. Um, and 50% of other fees collected from the nonprofit, um, to give to George, which is nuts to That's me. That's a lot of money. Um, uh, the other thing he did is he got money from a local businessman for helping him win state contracts. So this guy paid George about 15 to 20 grand and sent another $100,000 to a television station in the Virgin Islands that George's family like owned part of. So he had access like to the bank accounts and that's how to hide like that transfer of money. Yeah. And then the other thing he did was he had his aides running around doing errands for him. So instead of doing like legislative work that they're supposed to, he's turning them into messenger boys. Oh my gosh. Do you ever see Godfather too? Yes. Like his Sicilian messenger boy, Johnny Ola. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. My other uh, favorite line in that movie is, uh, oh, what is it? Um, Your father did business with Hyman Roth. Your father respected Hyman Roth, but your father didn't trust Hyman Roth. (laughs) Frankie Pantangeli, Frankie Five Fingers. Uh, He's like the best character. But in the end, he ends up pleading guilty to one charge. He takes the deal, which Frankie Five Fingers, he would have never taken the deal. I mean, you know, in the movie, he's in the bathtub at the end yeah, because uh, he's not going to uh, do that work with uh, the feds. Yeah. So during his apology statement, though, because all of these people are egomaniacs, 
Uh, he's before the judge. He says he's sorry about like misusing the aids and all of that. But even though he pled guilty to, uh, you know, the kickback and, and that that charge of defrauding the government, he's like, I'm innocent, you know, of that stuff. You know, I, I missed I, I didn't understand the role of, oh, of, the, of and the boundaries of yeah, what yeah. my the aids were supposed to be used for. And, you know, but whatever. I mean, I feel like that's like the status quo with these guys. Yeah. So the aftermath, he ends up getting sentenced to four years in the federal pen. So that white collar crime, he's going to that sort of prison. He's got to pay almost $570,000 in restitution. Oh my gosh. So the thing though, that is weird to me, like, I guess because you make these plea deals and when you get the plea deal, like it cuts a lot of time off of the sentencing, you know, but I feel like there's people who are like robbing Walmart and other places that are going to jail for longer than this guy who who did like really, you know, high end theft of of and and uh, not only that but breaks the trust of of people of, of the constituents. I think that it has to do with like what you're saying. If you rob a store, if you have a weapon, like you you know, it's threatening someone's life. They consider these crimes. They don't. Right. If they're not violent in any way, they don't. They don't but consider even, them serious. Yeah. I mean, I looked up um, some of the Wisconsin felonies, and like level H and I are the lowest level uh, felonies of stealing, like between five and ten grand from mm-hmm. someone, either property or whatever. And the punishment is three to six years. Plus fines up to 10 grand. So there could be someone who stole five grand who could end up with more jail time than this guy. Wow. You know what I mean? So I guess you just got to take the deal and, but it's everybody offered a deal. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how that part of like the law works, but I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of times these politicians, just for the fact of being politicians, somehow get off lighter right. than the average Joe. Mm. And he was an attorney himself, so he, you know, probably knew like how to finagle the best yes, deal too yes. with his attorneys and whatnot. So um, the other thing is he loses his pro- uh, license to practice law oh, in, the, in the middle Good. of all of this. So some points of interest um, that I found along the way that I love to share. Um, in 2001, he paid $50,000 for billboards. And here's that first name, last name kind of conundrum, I guess is that instead of having Gary George, they put George Gary on all the billboards. So he pays for all these ads, but then some people are like, well, now he's getting all of this like free advertisement because everyone's like, oh, billboard era and like all of this stuff. And meanwhile, (laughs) so so one of the articles I read was, did he kind of do this purposefully to get like all this other, I don't know, but. um, (laughs) He's a marketing genius. Yes. Uh, when he attempts to make uh, one of his political comebacks, because you know, after he got out oh. of jail, he can't just go quietly. Oh, no. He can't ride no, off no. into the sunset. Mm-mm. So um, the world is going to miss my political oh power. My I have to come back to give it away. So he claims that he created uh, the school choice program, which we know <sighs> today as really a Republican backed yeah. voucher plan system. So he did help legislate this in. Um, Wisconsin, but he didn't come up with the idea. So essentially his work on the bill back in 1990 allowed lower income families to use the vouchers funded by the government to send kids to private non-religious schools. Uh, At the time, the uh, Republicans wanted um, people to have the access to religious schools as well, and that didn't pass. I think now, depending on the state, it can be religious schools too. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, that separation of church and state, it's, whatever. Yeah. 
So that mirrors this and um, opens up sort of the conversation on school choice that we see today. And, you know, with the, I don't I can't stand the voucher programs because I feel like they basically defund our public schools. They move towards the privatization of education. Um, you know, everyone deserves that free public education. And it ends up hurting those most marginalized because if they don't get into uh, whatever school and all those seats are filled and there's, you know, um, no more space left, then they're going to their underfunded public schools. So it's right. not it's there's not equal footing. And it, it just really frustrates me. But all good points. <sighs> I know. So here is my favorite thing. OK. That Gary George <laughs> was involved in allegedly oh boy i'm gonna put allegedly it's always good when it's alleged yes and he didn't he did not um he was implicated but it never really went anywhere but in 2007 he was implicated in a plot to overthrow the government of laos oh my god like, isn't that just yes like he's overthrowing a government what what, <laughs> what? Why? and why laos you know yeah, so yeah. um so Laos is a South Asian, a yes, Southeast yes, Asian yes. country near Thailand and Vietnam. And the charge would have been conspiring to kill or injure people in a foreign country. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's kind of nuts. And so while he was never indicted or prosecuted, there was a connection and an undercover agent at one point in um, some of the articles I read, uh, which, of course, guys, please go to the notes because we have a full list of all the amazing journalists and, and, and newspapers that we, we get um, our information from. But at one point, uh, there was evidence to suggest involvement. So back in the day, remember when I said he would do these sort of last minute amendments? Mm -hmm. Well, during one of those, he added $3 million to the state budget to build a Hmong cultural center. And the Hmong are an ethnic group in Laos. And um, his aid was... Um, from that area and and was part of that of that ethnic group and um so they 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 get this money to build this cultural center because it's on that list of like a million things and people are like sure fine i got my thing what's going on right so another time when a local university professor and a historian denounces a general vang pao as a drug trafficker and so in laos there is a there's so the Hmong helped in Viet in the, during the Vietnam War, and they helped with um, Americans uh, during that fight in Vietnam. And uh, Laos is still, you know, at the time that all of this is happening, is under a communist regime. Mm -hmm. And so this General Vang Pao of, like, the Hmong want to overthrow the, the communist government in power. And so um, that's that's where all of this sort of weird thing is taking place so but this historian says that general van Pao was a drug trafficker and in fact some of the articles i read said that like he actually worked with the cia to traffic drugs um but i really couldn't find many more details on that but when this university professor like says this about uh, van Pao, uh gary george leads a protest against the guy against what? the historian so it's like what what is <laughs> you know there's got to be there's something there that is connecting him to this particular group um but really it was like i said it's that former assistant uh lo chay thao who ends up charged in the plot so allegedly oh, wow. 
His former assistant was high up in Powell's regime. He was like a lieutenant oh uh, my general. Gosh. And he wanted to do a 9-11 style attack. What? To overthrow that government. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I'm like, this is nuts. So, but it all came out of California. So this is like Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So that assistant ends up in California. They're doing the plotting there. There was a California Highway Patrol guy involved as well. And so how does you know, Gary George fit in all of this. So apparently his assistant came to him for advice and he's like, look, you know, uh, you're like a mentor to me. So, um, he basically said that he advised Thou to use international waters to exchange money, to avoid trouble in the U S he warned him that, um, the arms dealer that Thou was dealing with could be a fed. So he's like, you know, you got to be careful. Like here, you know, but just, you know, I'm just giving you some advice, but he wasn't involved. So he never really, so odd. it's very odd, but I mean, there's definitely this connection, uh, attached to him. Um, in 2010, he gets his law license reinstated by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. They believe like he did his time Ugh. and that he had enough punishment and that he shouldn't lose now, like his, you know, ability Ridiculous. to earn a living. No. And then in 2014, he decides to run for reelection. And um, he's saying that he was running for, quote, in response to citizens' demands for stronger leadership from Milwaukee's political community. So as usual, the fact that convicted felons are not prohibited from running for Congress is baffling to me. And I don't know how I feel about this. Like you serve your time, you paid your dues, like maybe you should have access. But when you have um, a guy like Gary George, who is defrauding the government, right, who could be put on a financial committee, like there's a lack of trust there. That well, So let's talk about this for a second. So convicted <sighs> felons, I don't know if convicted felons should be barred from running for office. There's plenty right. of people who are convicted felons. They do their time. They return to right. being See, that's a, where a I am working too. You know, regular citizen. But if it's somebody who's done something as a, as an elected official, that's that's a law I'd be about. You know, like during your time as a if he's already defrauded, and he's he's, you know, bribery, mm -hmm. all of these things or whatever. He then. No, he shouldn't be allowed to run. Right. again. You know. Right. But, but he, he did. So, um, and, and the thing too, that is like weird. It's like, so these States, you know, you're going to bar people from, um, you know, or disenfranchise people from, from voting, right? Like you serve your time and there's all of these stipulations, but Hey, go run for office. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like if you can run for office, then you should be able to vote. Yeah. I agree. It does. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's just like this. Or imagine, such imagine, being able, imagine being able to run for office and you can't vote for yourself. I, that's what I'm saying. It's like crazy. it's, it's, it's yeah. cuckoo. Yeah. It's cuckoo. So after serving his sentence, um, um, he ends up running for these congressional seats and he runs, um, he uses that summer home address because for the congressional seat, like you just have to be in the state. You don't have to be a particular okay. district. Right. So he runs against this woman, a Gwen Moore. And. There was no Dem, though, running for his particular area. So a lot of people were wondering, like, why choose to go up against another Democrat? And some people felt like he was still aligning himself with, like, certain Republicans who were like, let's try to upset this particular election mm -hmm. um, by throwing him in here. Now, he and Moore had served together in the past when he was a senator, because remember, he was a senator forever, and she had um, worked in Congress. And... Um, 
she did say that uh, he would speak to her sort of in derogatory ways. Like at one point, um, he said that she was just a welfare mom. Oh my god! Yeah, and things like that, like just being nasty. And so he ends up losing to her, though. So it's oh, great. Wow! But he ran against her two more times and lost two more times. Like he ran against her. Uh, in that 2014, 2016, and 2018. It's like, just get a clue. The the people don't want you. Like, get out. It's weird. Well, it's... Why isn't it enough just to be a lawyer? Like, why isn't that enough? You've got your license back. You should yes. be thankful that you and can you practice law. And you served for 23 years. Yeah, and you can you practice law. Like, just years. Go, go back to being a lawyer and a family man and stop with all of this. It's the hubris. Mm. What's the quote? Um, the pride that turns angels into devils, you know, mm-hmm. like it just it's that the ego is so destructive. So that was it. That was my guy. Very good. I love so, it. There we go. <laughs> All right. OK, so for my story on episode 10, I'm coming back to Florida, baby. <gasps> back to our home. So I want to thank our friend Amber Vaughn. She's the president of the Broward Young Black Progressive. She's amazing. Uh, go check them out everywhere on social media. She gave me this recommendation. Ooh. And she, when she was telling me this story, she's like, oh, I heard this. And I heard like there's all these like rumors about what happened with this guy. Oh, um, I can't and wait I was to totally drawn in. But here's the thing. Like it happened a while ago, but still... I can't find, I found like maybe two or three things on the internet about it. So I oh. had to really like, focus. like the, there's a, it happened in the Pensacola area. So it was like a Pensapedia, oh. which is like a Wikipedia. So I found that and I found a blog, ricksblog.biz or something like there's this weird, you know, anyway, the sources are on our, um, our website and the, uh, in our notes. So check it out. So I am going to talk about Escambia County Commissioner, William J. Jr. Oh, okay. William J. Yeah, I'm going to call him Junior, I think, a lot. Because I, I kept saying Willie. Jumba. I kept saying Willie Jones, Willie Jones. <laughs> I was writing it. And it's not Jones, it's Junior. So let's talk about Escambia County. Escambia County is the westernmost and oldest county in Florida. Hmm. Um, so if you look on a map of Florida, it's all the way over to the left. Um, it's right underneath Alabama. So... Uh, the population as in the census as of 2010 was 297,619 people. Oh. And the largest city is Pensacola. So if you're familiar with Pensacola, we've yeah. got beaches. And, yes. Okay. So um, the, during this time in the story, this story takes place in, uh, in the 2000s. But his story was around the 70s uh, when his story began. So oh. dur- according to the census, the racial makeup of the county was 79% white and 21% black in 1970. And it really hasn't gotten better. It's now 69% white, but 23% black. And okay. that's going to be important. Oh, so here no. we go. So Willie J. Jr. was born in 1950, excuse me, 1942, and he grew up in Pensacola, uh, segregated Pensacola. Uh, he joined the army to pay for college, but was honorably discharged two years later. And he enrolled in the University of West Florida, where he began the school's first black student union. Oh, cool, hey. right? Yes. So he met his wife, Abby, and uh, working at a hospital, and they married in 1966. Um, in 1975, Junior was hired by the nonprofit Community Action Program to help distribute food to the needy, for which he became known as, quote, the Cheese Man. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> Girl, let me tell cheese you something. Cheese Man. I 
every bit of the story, there are so many tiny, wonderful little things where every time I would look at it, I would say, oh yeah, no, this is the story. This is the story. But like one little quote like that, the cheese man, I was just like, yes. Okay. <laughs> I loved it. So thanks to a 1977 lawsuit by the NAACP, the Escambia County Board of Commissioners was forced to hold district-specific elections for seats, giving black politicians a better chance of looking, uh, excuse me, of getting elected. Good. So I looked up this lawsuit and it was really amazing. So right after the Civil Rights Act, they took that, right, the NAACP, and they started going to, around to all these counties, this is one of the things they did, to ensure that black voters were not being disenfranchised. And so because this voting for the, this commission, it was every seat was all county, um, the, the small amount of black voters would kind of be washed away right. in the sea of white votes, you mm. know? And so even if there was a black politician running they, and all the black people voted for that person, they would never get enough votes to actually win. Okay. So when they, what they did is they come in and they won this lawsuit where they have to draw districts. And so when you have a large African-American community drawn into the map, all of a sudden you've got a seat at the table, right? Good. Yes. It was awesome. So... um Let's see. Junior ran for the District 3 seat in 1983 and was elected, becoming the first black member of the commission since Reconstruction, which was in 1877. Wow. wow. <laughs> it's a long time. So here's a picture coming. of Willie J. Jr. Okay. Yeah. Looks like a politician, right? He does. Yeah. He does. He looks like that sweet face. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. So, um, okay, this is such a great story. I, I just saw, I just went ahead a little bit and started to laugh. Okay. <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, too. All right. So in 1986, junior and developer Jim Cronley purchased, so this is after he's been elected, purchased an old church on Alcanese Street and converted it into the junior funeral home. Hmm. The business became famous for its drive-through mortuary. Oh, no. Wait. Allowing mourners to view the deceased through a window no. without leaving their vehicle. No. But what? So here's a picture Oh, oh my god! Big large window. You see large like. So you're like, hey, I'm a little busy, yeah, but I'm like, happy let's to just stop and talk about this for a second. I'm happy to try yeah. by and look what, in the window. What person doesn't have enough time to get out of their car and, <laughs> and pay, pay respect. their fucking respects to somebody? Listen, people, you know, you get busy. Maybe it's for people who are uncomfortable with, um, you know. I, I mean, know we're some... talking a very small margin of people. Come on, I know, but. I can maybe what? see that some people feel a little uncomfortable yeah. with the smell, with the space, All with right, the, listen, you know, you're getting, very, so, you're getting a lot I'm of trying, excuses for this, I'm but trying. this is the craziest thing I've ever fucking heard of. I, but let's do this. What if your parents or somebody, you know, was, was having a funeral there? Would you want their face in the window? Like strangers, no, could no. you imagine just strangers driving, just driving past by? The oh, I heard there's the a funeral body? today. Could you imagine? Oh, and you know, there's probably someone that's like, oh, funeral this week. I got to drive by. Like that's it's their thing. Crazy. Or they just drive by every know. funeral. I, again, I saw that in the story. I go, oh, this is a story. This, this is, is a story. That's it's, is that the only one of its kind? It, yes. First, it's got to be the only. It's first. Be, it, yeah. It has to be. I mean, it became famous for it. I so wonder I'd what imagine. it is today. I wonder if they. It's now a church. Oh, okay. I did take that out of the story, but it okay. is now a church. Okay. It was, okay. it was sold. He sold it later on. It went back to being a church. Okay. Okay. So uh, later on, he purchased Cronley's 49%. So he owned that business completely outright. Um, unfortunately, Junior lived outside his means. So oh. he leased a, a Corvettes, he bought expensive suits, and he took frequent trips. And then the line between his government career and his private life began to blur. Oh, he was, no. this is, Tina, hold on to your fucking hat. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. 
He was criticized for sending boxes of government food to the elderly with a card that read, quote, in the event of my death, please notify Junior Funeral Home. <gasps> no! 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 Tina? No! Tina? No! I cannot. I You're like, cannot. wait a minute. I, I, I'm... I'm not that Mr. old. Cheese I don't Man feel is like, so bad. Mr. Cheeseman. I wouldn't want to eat that food. I'd be like, wait a second. What's in here? <laughs> Contact Juno Funeral, Funeral Home and Mr. Cheese, who runs the funeral home. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. No. So that's hilarious and fantastic. But it's crazy. I it's would not crazy. eat that food because I'm like, wait a minute. There's a card that says yeah. contact the funeral home. What did he put in this food? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I can't take it. So um, he also had extramarital affairs that he lavished these ladies with expensive gifts Ugh. that, of course, he could not afford. And then one woman claimed that he found her a job with the county, and then he had her fired when their affair ended. Oh, great. <laughs> you can't it's do just that. It's so wild. Well, you know. I mean, I guess he, he did. It's just but... so crazy. It's crazy. I love it. Okay, so... <laughs> Brings, because he, also you look at his picture and you're like that guy like that guy you bring people this? into to the place where you work i feel like that's the the first you don't want any connection oh, to no. your work or you know so that people don't make those connections uh, if listen, you're gonna have an affair it's supposed to be clandestine bold that boldness yeah. that, that these people these are the guys have Ugh. so okay one of let's talk a little bit about one of willie's fellow commissioners um his name was wd childers his first name was Wyon, but they he went by wd childers so um, W.D. Childers is a former state senator who served for 30 years from 1970 to 2000 as a state senator. Here's his picture. Okay. Okay. Um, they both have big foreheads. Yeah. This is him when he was younger, of course, when he was first a senator. Um, he was the Senate president from 1980 to 1982. So now I'm going to show you another picture. I know I have a lot of pictures, but... Um, this picture I found on his Pensipedia page or whatever. And um, I, I was like, oh, yeah, there he is, 1970. He's being sworn in. But I noticed somebody else in the picture. And oh. I want to test your Florida knowledge oh, and see if you can, I'm gonna if fail. You can recognize I'm failing. another person being sworn in. This is... Um... So here's our guy right here. This is uh -huh. Childers. Do you recognize anybody else? The, the front person looks familiar to me. One I of, don't know. One of these two. Okay. So this is future Governor Bob Graham. Oh my God! Look Let at him! See this? Look how young Jeez. and baby he looks like. Little baby face. I only think of him as an older man. Yeah, but I recognized him immediately with that hair. Oh, look at the hair! It's got like that surfer cut. It's got the little flip. Yeah. And you know what I found out about? Like after I looked it up, I'm like, yep, that's definitely Bob Graham. He was sworn in in the Senate in 1970, but before that, he was a House Rep for Florida. Oh. Guess what district? 105. Yeah, what? a district we are very familiar yes. with right now. This is a very hot seat in the state of Florida. In, in the state of Florida, it this is year. indeed. Yeah, so there's Bob Graham. Wow. Yeah, he looks he, like a baby. I can't take he it. He does. Okay, I did not recognize that at all. I One of the last Democratic governors of Florida. Yeah. Well, when I think of him, he he was old. When I think of he's him. older. Yeah. 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 So um, okay, so when he was in the Senate, Childers earned the nickname Banty Rooster after the swaggering barnyard fowl and became noticed for his eccentric mannerisms and colorful folksy expressions. Oh, gosh. Childers was popular in his district for the ample state funding and, quote, turkey projects he would send home, including $12.5 million for Pensacola Civic Center and the I-10 extension. So a turkey product is 
a project mm-hmm. is exactly what you just talked about in your story. It's when projects are tacked onto bills and and they send funding home to a district. So it's kind of sneaky, right? right? But it's not against any rules. And so this guy did the same thing. And there's our connection to our stories that we yeah. always have. <laughs> so, but he did get in trouble for this one. In 1980, Childers pushed the state legislature to buy land for the Big Lagoon State Park uh, from a Pensacola auto dealer. Mm. He he was called before a grand jury when it was revealed that he owned another piece of property um with five ash which is near where this property was and he claimed that he had not made the mental connection between the two properties he just forgot (laughs) yeah so he was directly benefiting from this and he ended up being cleared of any wrongdoing so he went about his business right but kind of a a foreshadowing of what he's going to be like later so and another thing is june 1st 1981 um there was an argument between childers and senator dempsey barron over a bill nearly resulting in a fight on the senate floor wow um and then barron later organized a group of legislators that effectively stripped childers of his power as president senate president because he was acting like a fool out like you know Trying to start a oh, fist all these fight. people with their with <laughs> all the that power. testosterone. The power just gets you to know, people's to heads. women. You know, you'll be fine. Yes, everybody will have some tea and they'll get their shit worked out, and we're yes. gonna run this bitch like a motherfucker. Let's That's what we're do gonna do. It. Let's do it. Okay, so um, a good piece of legislation that Childers drafted was in 1993. I'm gonna throw throw this guy a bone, right? The legislation would amend the Florida Medicaid Third Party Recovery Act, enabling the state of Florida to sue the tobacco industry for the costs of treating illnesses caused by cigarette smoke, uh, smoking. So the bill was pushed through quickly and signed into law by Governor Lawton Childs before it could attract the attention of the tobacco industry lobbyists. Nice. So they all got together to do this. Uh, I Republicans like these and Democrats. Sto- yeah, I love these stories. Yeah. So the legislation ultimately led to a class action lawsuit that yielded a a $13.2 billion settlement for the state of Florida. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So due to the, quote, eight is enough constitutional amendment passed by Florida voters in 1992, which limited legislators' terms of office to eight ex- consecutive years, Childers' name was not allowed on the ballot in 2000. So he had already Good. served for 30 Good. years for I that mean, area. Come on. Yeah. You got to cha- change things up. Yeah. But, you know, new perspectives. Yeah. So he considered running for his Senate seat regardless. Oh, <laughs> because in 30 years ain't enough, baby. Oh. We can't we can't go back to being a normal, regular person, not elected. Not it's wheeling and dealing. Theme. Yeah. Um, so regardless, uh, as a write in candidate exploiting a loophole in the amendments wording and even received a concession from election officials that would allow uh, voters to just write the W.D., what? Yeah, so he was gonna not have his full name. He was just gonna have those initials. Oh, because he doesn't want anyone. To, he doesn't want to lose a vote if they misspell his last name. Yeah, probably. It would. It would just be different than his yeah. regular name, right? Uh, so, but it was the loophole that was there. But later, uh, decided to serve as a Scambia County Commissioner for one term until he could constitutionally reclaim his re- reclaim his Senate seat. Which I don't know if that's still a thing. You can leave for one term, which would be eight years, and uh, then come back and run again. So you can't do consecutive? Is it consecutive? I think it's consecutive. Did I say consecutive? I bet I did. You you probably did, but yeah. I... In terms eight consecutive years. Okay, yeah. so that's how people are going to get around it. We'll all go right. sit in this other seat, and then I run again, and I get eight. I mean, yeah. just give it up. No, no. Tina, 30 years, Tina. 30 years. And you can imagine, you know... It's the running again that makes me suspicious. Yeah. Right? I know, we know people that are elected that are like, well, if I don't, if I go home, I'm going to go back to being a mom or a dad or a business person and and my life goes on. It's, 
there's some kind of scam going on when you're trying that fucking hard to hold on to power, right? Yeah. Like something's happening. So here we are, 2001. Both Willie J. Jr. and W.D. Childers are elected commissioners in Escambia County. Childers quickly created a voting block with Willie Jr. and another commissioner, Mike Bass. So these three, there's five people on the commissioner, on the commission. Right. And then, so Childers, you know, knowing all how to get these things done, he's been in the Senate for 30 years. He's now sitting on a county commission, and he knows he's got to have a majority of voting. So he gets these guys in line with him to just get all the stuff that they want, right? So, yeah. So here's the corruption scandal. Uh-oh. Here we go. So on October 4th, 2001, Willie Jr. added an item to the Escambia County Commission agenda proposing to negotiate a purchase price for the old Pensacola soccer complex, which was approved unanimously. Okay, fine. All of them are like, yeah, let's buy it. Like, I, okay. I didn't look into the reasons why. Again, I couldn't probably find make a it a public park space yeah, but or it something wasn't like, like They're all like, yeah, yeah. Sh- let's, we'll negotiate a purchase price. So then... At their next commission meeting, the commission voted three to two on November 1st to approve the $3.9 million purchase from real estate salesman Joe Elliott and his wife, George Ann. So the two people who didn't vote were outside of that voting block, right? Right. Um, Junior voted in the majority with fellow commissioners Childers and Mike Bass. Then... Four months later, on January 10th, 2002, the commission offered $2.3 million for another property owned by the Elliots, the defunct Stalnacker Mazda dealership. So another huge property, piece of property. Um, Hmm. Both both votes were passed without any public discussion, which is another part of things Uh that are not. That looks shady, too. Yeah. Um, The properties were later appraised well below the amount paid by the county. Uh All of this started to look really suspicious, right? Yeah, where's that extra? Right. Where's the extra money? There's extra money And both from the same owners within four months of each other. I mean, have some, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. This is not how we scam. No. You scam one year, give it a year and a half, then scam for another property. Greed. <laughs> what is the rush? Greed. What's the rush? Nobody's looking, apparently, right? right? That's what they think. So in February, when the can- a month later, when the candidates needed to report their financial disclosure forms, mm. Junior came under scrutiny. So members of the press were very interested in these reports because... I love the press. Yes. They're freedom. like, let's dig it up. Yeah. So if there was any payoffs happening, this is where the forms should start to show up because obviously something's happening right. here. And uh, his financial disclosure reports were found with numerous discrepancies and unexplained revenue. Uh-oh. So State Attorney Curtis Golden announced on February 7th an investigation into the commission over possible corruption related rela- corruption related to the land purchases. And a grand jury subpoenaed Escambia County Supervisor of Elections Bonnie Jones for Junior's records. Ooh. Right. So it was eventually disclosed that many of Junior's business debts were erased with a single payment of $291,542 on o- October 2nd, 2002, two days before he voted for the, with the commission <gasps> to purchase the soccer complex. What? Yeah. So votes Obviously are something's for right. sale. Yeah. During this time, Junior incurred heavy legal costs from his attorneys, forcing him to mortgage his funeral home. <laughs> oh, boo. Oh, no. <laughs> no more drive through for you, motherfucker. Oh, no. So, yeah, because he's trying to defend himself in this case, right? He's, <laughs> he didn't have any money but to begin with. Yeah. So, who's going to buy um, the, the drive through <laughs> Oh, God, this more. is so crazy. So, um... On, on April 30th, 2002, four commissioners and the Elliots were booked into Escambia County Jail on 27 charges, which included wow. bribery, racketeering, and violating the state's sunshine law. So one of, I said four commissioners, not just those three, right. because Commissioner Terry Smith, who had voted against those 
um, purchases and wasn't in that voting block with the majority with them, he was indicted um, for, uh, he was not, okay, he was not indicted for the payoff, but when they started to do the investigation and, and seeing what, he he violated the sun, the state sunshine law because he had a private conversation with Childers about oh. something with the county clerk. It had nothing to do with right. this at all. So he just got wrapped up he because got wrapped everyone's up Yes. So the Florida sunshine law. Yes. So this law states, if you're not in Florida and you don't know, um, the state law, uh, the law states that elected officials are never allowed to have any conversations or discussions about county, city or state business that are not on the record for the public to see. So they call it, you know, shining a light, so the sunshine, right. everything's out in Transparent. the open. Yes. So he violated that. And then uh, on governor, so then Governor Jeb Bush suspended the four indicted commissioners on May 1st, 2002. And then a little side note, Bush appointed Marie Young to replace Willie Jr. And she became the first black woman to serve on the commission. Hey. Go, girl, go, girl. Okay. On, on October, I mean, I'm sorry, September 17th, 2002, Willie Jr. pleaded no contest to political corruption charges and agreed to testify against Childers. Oh. Because he's the mastermind behind right, all this, right? Right, right. Oh, right. Yeah. So Junior might have faced a maximum sentence of 125 years for the <gasps> felony, bribery, and wow. money laundering charges, but his plea agreement ensured a sentence of no more than 18 months. That's so, a huge gap in time. <laughs> way down, baby. Yeah. Way down. I mean, who wow. wouldn't take that offer? I know. Oh, my God. So. And it's a federal, so he's not going, you yeah, know, yeah. going to federal jail, which is a little different. Yes. So let's talk about what happens next, oh right after gosh. all this. So it turns out the Elliots were good friends of W.D. Childers, the people who own oh. these properties, right? So the Pensacola Soccer Complex had been purchased by Joe and George Ann Elliott for $3.3 million. The county purchased it for $3.9 million, netting the Elliots a profit of $561,000. And according to state's allegations, the Elliots paid a bribe of $200,000 to Childers, who in turn paid uh, around $100,000 to Willie Jr. Okay. Jr. testified that Childers had given him a stainless steel, quote, collared green pot full <laughs> of cash a few <gasps> days after the county closed on the property, wow. which he then transferred to a paper bag and brought it home. What? Yeah. He also Imagine... I know. Could you imagine a hundred thousand dollars in cash? Wow. That remind. I know. I always talk about The Sopranos, but it reminds me of the scene when Tony Blundetto, you know, he's doing like the the massage <laughs> stuff, and he's trying to like be on the straight and narrow, and he he and his girlfriend are walking, and someone throws yes, something out the right. and it's like twenty grand, and then that's oh it. He God. like he he turns all corrupt. Yeah. But they just find like twenty grand sitting in a bag. Oh, girl. Oh, oh crazy. I know. Um. So he also claimed that to have received $10,000 from Joe Elliott, the property owner, directly the day before the vote to buy the property. So he's getting all kinds of money all over the place. And then he wanted to deposit some of the money in the bank, but fearful of the government reporting requirements of depositing cash, Junior returned $40,000 to Childers in exchange for a cashier's check for the same amount. And then Junior later received several checks from Childers totaling $90,000. So these cash cashier's checks yes. you know and childers would later go on to say that they were loans and mm. i know he was having some trouble financially but yeah it's all about the language people try to use yes so wd childers on april 9th 2003 childers was found guilty of two charges of bribery and unlawful compensation 
Childers served nearly three years of a 42-month sentence, uh, prison sentence in West Palm Beach and was released on June 17, 2009, after which he relocated away from Pensacola. <laughs> huh? That was probably smart. Yeah. And then on June 8, 2010, a federal appeals court overturned Childers' bribery conviction, ruling that he had the constitutional right to confront his accuser, Willie Jr., um, his to, con- to, uh, to confront his accuser that had been violated as a defense team was not allowed to question Jr. on his change of testimony. And let's talk about why that is. Okay. So Willie J. Jr. Like I said before, Jr. was re- was to receive 18 months in prison, but the day before his sentencing on November 9th, 2004, he disappeared. <gasps> what? Girl, you ready? Oh, no. What's he? What's Buckle he... up. No. It's Where does he go? Let's do Where's it. Where's he going? <laughs> I just got goosebumps. Well, so this is what we know. Oh, no. Like, is, does someone take him out? Listen to me. <gasps> you have to hold oh, on for a second. Okay, wait. <laughs> I'm like, so like, does it excite? I'm like, I'm like my hands. I'm like clenching my hands in just such anticipation. I know. So I got this. This is what we know is the last day of Willie J. Jr. Okay. Because oh we know this from. I got and goosebumps. I, I know. And I got this from the Rick's blog. Again, we'll put the link up. Okay. But this is his timeline that I took from his blog because I was going to write what the last time someone saw him and then when they found him but i really feel like this timeline is so really fantastic and it kind of makes me feel crazy creepy that we know like minute for minute where he was and how then does, where did how he did, go how and did, where uh, did he show up and so you say rick's blo- who's rick he just I a random I, Pensacola I, blogger like yes, yes. investigating interested it's mysterious he is like a mysterious web thing about, sleuth. I couldn't find anything about this guy hmm. even when he was disappeared there were stories in the Pensacola right. papers like where's Willie like uh, uh, but this guy had a very specific like whole thing about the story that I thought was really good oh so all right let's let's do the timeline I can't wait to hear this I know so on um November 8th, 2004, 9.45 to 9.50 a.m., Junior heads to me and mom's hair salon with a $100 bill and $6 from his wife. He's wearing a gray turtleneck, gray tra- trousers, and brown loafers. Okay, so uh, I like that yeah. outfit, no, actually. Very cute. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, 10 a.m., Junior's photo, Junior's photo is taken by Pensacola Police Department Sergeant Goldsmith, who was testing a camera at Pensacola Photo Supply. So, like, he ran into this guy at the photo place. Okay. Um, at 10 a.m. to 10.45 a.m., Junior receives a $6 haircut at Me and Mom's Hair Salon near the corner of 12th Avenue and Scott Street. Um, he leaves in an unknown direction and does not return home. At 4.30 p.m., Junior and his wife have an appointment with his attorney, Michael Griffith. His wife meets with Griffith, but Junior fails to call or attend. Oh, so so he has the haircut. He takes off. No one sees him. They have a 4.30 appointment. The wife goes to it, but her hubby's a no-show. He doesn't show up. Okay. From 5.30 to 6 p.m., Junior is dropped off at 511 North Alkanes Street at his friend Nelson Bryant's home by a small white Jeep with dark windows and unknown driver. Bryant buys a six-pack of Heineken beer, and they drink together. At 6.26 p.m., Junior calls Ruth Williams and speaks for, for to her for about three minutes about a funeral she had to attend of a close relative. So this is like a friend of his. Junior okay, then, so there's sightings of him now. Yes. Okay. He's now he at just, his He house. just missed the We don't know where he was during those middle right. times. Okay. Yeah. So when he was there, Junior then went to the bathroom and stayed there for about 45 minutes. He left legal mail in the bathroom. Hmm. Bryant says he saw an outline of what might have been a pill bottle in Junior's pants. They talk about old acquaintances, and Junior asks Bryant about Mr. D, it's quote Mr. D, or Benjamin Dudley, a mutual friend who had previously worked for Willie Junior at the funeral home. 
At 7.30 p.m., Junior leaves with the remainder of the Heineken and a bottle opener. Junior returns a short time later and asks him for a white sheet. What? Like a sheet. Like a bed sheet. Yeah. Okay. He did not indicate the purpose, and Bryant did not ask. As who, who wouldn't ask? I would be like, what do you, uh, what do you need a sheet for? You're going you know, on a picnic. I think that going... it's, you know, it's just a buddy of his. He's having beer with him. He knows he's getting sentenced yeah. tomorrow. I believe that when you get sentenced, you then go to jail. You're now going to go serve. Right. So this is like his last right. night. Right. Out. But w- I would still go, well, what do you need a sheet for? It's an odd request. It is. Well, it's an odd request. Yeah. So as Junior was leaving, Brian asks if he needs a taxi, and Junior says he's, quote, going on in, and, quote, I don't need a ride. I'll get a ride. I'll see you later, end quote. 30 days later. So, this so that's is the his, last time anybody So this is him. his last night. The next day he's supposed to report. Nobody knows where he is. Didn't come home that night. Didn't come home. And his wife, so, I mean, I know it's his last night and he's with his buddy, but he's not going to spend the last night with his wife? No. He okay. disappears. So he's gone. gone now. For 30 days he's missing. 30 days? 30 days. On December 9th, 2004, the Pensacola police are called to 1026 East Strong Street to the home of Benjamin Dudley, 89, because of a strong odor. (gasps) This is his friend. This is the guy who used to work for him. him, And he asked his friend Bryant about him. This is the guy. This is his house. Um, A body is found laying on its back under the house and is later identified as Junior through (gasps) fingerprints and dental records. No. Under the house? Under the house. Um, near the body, they found Heineken bottles and pill bottles. Oh no. Okay. So there's a lot of suspicions about what happened here. And I mean, it's 18 months. I feel like, you know, and it's a federal prison. Not that, listen, I, 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 everybody would be freaked out to go, but. Well, you know, so that's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of things that I read were like friends of his were like, he was up in spirits. People who were coming to testify for him. He was excited about who was coming. Like he, he really wasn't high spirits about it. He was, you know, obviously he wasn't happy about it, but he wasn't in a place where nobody, and then a year and a half. Yeah. So there's a lot of suspicions. And I'm going to say this one little story that Amber who recommended this guy to me told me, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Okay. But she said that she heard. So it's all alleged rumor, 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 right, right. That this guy went missing, and one day at the beach, under the pier, they somebody found a body hanging, right? Like a lynching kind of, oh. right? And everybody started showing up like press, and the police were like, there's nothing here. There's nobody here. Get out of here. And like two days later, this guy's body was found under a, oh. a porch hmm. as if he was taken out or something. I don't know. I don't like there's a cover up. I couldn't find anything, but that kind of did intrigue but me But yeah, it. I'm wondering with the autopsy report, if there were like ligature marks on the net, no, you know, things like wasn't. that. There wasn't. If there was, yeah, then it's not, right? Like, it's a thing. It's a rumor. Yeah, because you you can't, I mean. Well, and also, you know, people are like, he wouldn't have killed himself, but he'd already testified. So there's nothing else that could happen. Yeah. If you're going to take somebody out who's going to testify against you, you do it before they testify. Correct. Because now all that information's already on record. And, and maybe he just couldn't face up to having to go to jail. Maybe. I mean, listen, not everybody can do that. Yeah. You know? Um, okay, but there, of course, there's suspicions. And so here's a quote from his barber who cut his hair that day, Charmaine Jordan. Quote, how many people you know get a haircut, then go lay down and die? Willie Jr. was the type that every time you saw him, he was dressed up. Willie ain't going going up under no house like a dog, end quote. And I kind of, like, I see that, too. Right. Like, he's not the kind of guy although, who's just going to lay down and die under a house. Although he was in a really nice outfit. He got his haircut. Maybe he wanted to look he, nice. He wanted to look nice. Maybe yes. he thought someone would find him sooner 
You know what I mean? Right. And he got everything done that he needed to get done. And maybe he was asking about this guy oh. to be like, you know, I think he was on the sheet, by the way. Yeah. I think he was laying on that sheet when he, mm. you know. But these, why didn't, he was under the house. I wonder if he was expected to be found sooner. Maybe. I don't know. Because I know the houses in Pensacola, it's different than here. Yes. They're up, they're up, up, they're up. They're up. Yeah. That's just curious. And maybe the guy living there is just older and just 89. doesn't. 89 doesn't go around back of the house no, or, you know what I mean? Like, no. And he didn't smell anything. He didn't yeah. hear anything. I mean, it yeah, wasn't he's like. He's older and maybe, yes. maybe Junior thought, well, he'll walk around the side or yeah. whatever it is. And okay. How, what a sad, terrible ending. It is. Well, let's, let's talk about. It. So let's get into the, the medical examiner. So after a two month investigation with the Pensacola police medical examiner, Andrea Minyard says there's no doubt that junior committed suicide considering his autopsy and medical and psychiatric records. He had some of the pills that he had were for, um, depression, mm. you know, so they were trying to say like, maybe yeah. he was going through it. Um, Minyard says she couldn't determine the exact time of Junior's death because of the decomposition of his body, which had turned his skin, I'm sorry, yellow, green, and red, except for the back of one knee. His eyes and his ears were absent. Oh, no. So that's why he had to be identified by the fingerprints and dental records. Ah. Sorry. It's gross, but listen, those animals, there's something that they're, you know, Uh. getting at him, his poor body. Uh. Sorry, Tina. Uh. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Uh. I'm sorry. Um... It's sad. So Minyard did say drinking as little as four ounces of antifreeze can kill a person. First, they will feel intoxicated. Then they go unconscious and die within minutes or hours. Oh, it was antifreeze? Yes. Yeah, so, she, so she says... But was although, there a bottle of antifreeze around him? Wait. So okay. she says, although she found antifreeze or ethylene glycol in his liver, there was no other trauma present. It was in the Heineken bottle. Oh. They found antifreeze in the, in the Heineken bottle. Um, and then she said, uh, quote, all evidence indicates to us a suicide. I feel we were very thorough and we've worked through and the, in the work we've done. Mm. Um, and then finally the NAACP offered to pay for an independent autopsy, but his wife, Abby said, no, it's, it's done. Let's, let's let him lie and be in peace. You know, that's a shame. I mean, I know he did some, you know, uh, corrupt things, but yeah, nobody deserves this. My God. No, his family. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. That's terrible. And he seemed to be a member, a really active member of the community that people knew him around town. Cheese and, man. The cheese yeah, man. The cheese man. Oh. I know. So that's the story of Willie J. Jr. I'm pouting. I know. I'm it's sorry. It's sad. Well, let's talk about, I, I do want to say something since I did bring up the census. Oh. A little bit in the beginning of the story. Yes. It reminds me that I just want to give a little public service announcement. Yes. That the census, <laughs> the census 2020 census is coming up. We do this every 10 years. The country is obligated by the constitution required to count every single person in the United States. It's very important. That's how yes. we, we find out how many people live in a certain place, who needs this money, who needs that money. Hey, political representation you could get another seat in the house of representatives florida gained two seats in 2010 yes so it would be really nice uh now this is coming out march 4th um march 12th they're going to start sending out those um notices so check your mailbox it's the first year you can fill it out electronically that's exciting it's very very convenient hello so you know Fill it out. Tell your friends to fill it out. Share information about the census. Don't be afraid. Everything's good. No one's going to come get you. There's no, you know, uh, no no one can get your information. It's all completely safe and secure. And one other note of fantastic news. Oh, oh tell me. So this is coming out March 4th, and we are 
on March 5th, heading to PodFest yes. in Orlando. So this weekend we will be at PodFest in Orlando and I'm really excited about it. It's going to be amazing. I cannot wait to meet just people and explore and learn. I'm beyond excited. I have so many questions. Yes, me too. About equipment. I'd really like to learn more about mixers and uh, having, so we can have a guest. I'd like to have another microphone so I can get a bigger mixer and have another mic here. We could do special episodes with guests. So, and we want to know about metrics because we have no idea. Uh, what We, we have no idea. Num- <laughs> we look at these Guys, download numbers. we don't know numbers. what's going on. <laughs> we don't. And we look at these download numbers and they're like, wow, these look really great. But I'm like, well, is it? But do we know? And we're looking at it like, what is this episode? We have no idea what we're looking at. I know. So, know. so we got to talk to somebody about yes. this. And we're probably going to do a couple of just fun live um, Instagram stories while yes, we're there. Yes. So just be on the lookout for that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. I forgot we were going to do that. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. Um, that means I have to put on makeup this week, that weekend. Ugh. No. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> what is What is the... Um, they have that hashtag. Hashtag no filter. Hashtag no makeup. Hashtag girl. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag no no filter i'm doing it i'm putting a filter on that bitch um uh, uh, but that's it right i mean what else yeah no those that's super exciting stuff yeah. so uh, i'm watching a netflix show called cheer i'm really excited about that i started watching that okay i like yeah. it so far we'll see i'm they're trying very hard to convince me cheerleading's a sport i'm trying it to get on board with it it looks like it is i'm it like is. all right it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of hard work a lot a lot i of have hard to work. tell you i made up fun of a lot of cheerleaders in high school honey oh i remember laughing very hard when one of them fell and i have to tell you i feel awful about it oh my it. goodness although that girl in particular was an asshole so i'm, ex- <laughs> I'm excusing that behavior okay but i did make fun of in my time i did make fun of a, a cheerleader or two yeah. so i never was a cheerleader but i always i love anything choreographed and i yes, used to love right. watching I'm, I'm any chore- choreographed yes. routine um like I love like uh, I'm, I'm sure like I mean this is cheesy but the the bring it on yeah, original movie I love that they movie keep so it much in there. yeah 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 um it's it's like one of my favorite movies it's like so cheesy but I love it yeah so and I used to watch like the cheerleading competition like I, I yes I just think it's a lot of hard work I love seeing everyone in sync I just think it's really cool to see the final well that's why production I think, yeah so I remember watching those when they'd come up on TV with my sister we'd be like oh wait there's cheerleading and we'd watch those competitions yeah so this is cool to see the work that goes into oh that my final God. product it's like, incredible this is, it's amazing and and really the the injuries. That's what bothers me, though. This yeah. girl, I'm on the second the con- episode. The concussions. Yeah, this girl's had five yeah. concussions, and I'm like, eh, that's yeah. gonna, that's a problem. But, I mean, that's every sport. Soccer. I mean, football alone. That's why, I mean, sorry all the football people out there, but, one, I'm not a big fan of football for no. many reasons. No. Um, but, you know, it's the, the damage done... Yeah. There was that documentary on, um, what was his name? Aaron uh, Hernandez. Aaron, Aaron Hernandez. I haven't and watched it yet, but. Uh, it's so good. I know. And it's such a shame that. I am, I've got to tell you, I'm the, obsessed the damage, with his story. I'm obsessed with his story. Yeah. I listen. There's an amazing podcast called Gladiator by the Boston Globe. It's about five or six episodes and it's all about his life from beginning to yeah. the end. And, and it's it a shame. Is, it's a shame, but it's just so mind blowing. Right. Everything this guy went through and all of the damage that was done to his brain. I mean. It's incredible. That story yeah. is incredible. And I know now they have a Netflix show about him. So I got to watch it. Yeah. But. And they and they do have like the helmets that, you know, see how many oh, and the pressure. But, no. you know, this, uh, this industry. Yes. 
And it's an industry that doesn't care about the damage inflicted on these bodies. Like and the they, bodies are used, the bodies are done, and and it's all about their profits in the end. And that's yeah. why um, years ago, my my husband uh, used to be a football. He used to watch football. Um, his dad played football uh, in college for a little bit, and um, he he has you know, injuries to his knees today, his back that, I mean, it's lifelong, lifelong injuries to a body. And, uh, he stopped primarily because he didn't feel that college athletes are, are treated fairly Mm. uh, at all. And he's like, I refuse to give my money to an industry that isn't taking care that just using people. Of course. And so he was like, never again. And it's net, we haven't had football in our house in almost 10 years. Yeah. So I mean, now it's you just don't soccer. Take care of them. You, don't take, <laughs> yeah. you don't take care of them health wise, health insurance. You don't add this added feature where, you know, they are making brain millions damage. and millions and millions and millions it's, of dollars off yeah. the backs of young people. Oh, and I don't even want let's end here because I cannot go on with the NFL. Let's not even get into the fact they can't stand up for their fucking rights. Okay? Oh, please. Don't even start with me that please. someone can't kneel with the with the with the, what business do you have? They're going to go out there and make you millions of dollars. Let them let them kneel. Yeah. What is wrong with you? It's all about the money. Well, it's like a modern day uh, uh, gladiator, you know, yes. that we're, we're sitting around in an arena watching you know, violence play in front of us and, and nobody cares. Like they just want to rah, rah, rah yeah. about it. And There's a very good episode of the daily, the New York times podcast, the daily that I listened to with my kids recently. Uh, the one that was all about football in, in Texas in 2008, they voted to stop seventh graders from playing because of all of these, the, the medical stuff that came yeah. out. And then two years later, they voted it back because People just wanted their football back. And it's like you see the evidence that this is going to do lifelong. It could do extensive brain damage right. to your child. Forever. Forever. Yeah. And they're like, eh, I like watching football. But will we like watching the kids play? Listen, I'm sorry you're an adult now and you didn't get to be a star of a football I team. <laughs> That's not why we have children so that you right. can live out your fantasy and be a football star. Uh, no, yeah, I'm not here for this. So, uh, uh, sorry, uh, all our football fans. Yeah, I really don't care. But we're not sorry. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I'd rather watch the cheerleaders go up and down. And I know they're getting pyramids. injured too. And the soccer players are getting, everybody's getting injured. I mean, what are we, you know, uh, girl, forget so, it. Oh, yeah. we know everything though, by the I way. <laughs> we're so smart. Never played a sport. Well, I did. I, I ran with it. <laughs> I got a lot to say about something I know nothing about. <laughs> all right. So next episode, let's see. We're going to be talking about PodFest. Well, all right. Thank, oh, episode 10. Thank you so much for hanging in there yes. with us. This is a celebration. This is amazing. 10 episodes. I can't wait. I keep saying I can't wait for all of the milestone ones. And this is our first really big milestone. So it's humongous. we're excited. Yeah. It's going to be nothing in, in a year. We'll be like, remember I was at 10? Yes. Yeah. So I'm, whatever. <laughs> We're good. We're doing good. Yes. All right. See you next week, Tina. All right. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support the Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for the Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.